0: So I've got a question for you. Um, How many of you think you can drive my car right now? Can you drive my car? It's automatic. Automatic. Honda Accord. Okay. I see like 80% thinks you can drive it. Great. Um, Think you can parallel park it? Some of your leaders can't even parallel park. I'm not talking about you, little miss school bus. I know you know how to parallel park. That's right. Well, I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about my wife. Uh, <laughs> no, I think she could probably parallel park. I don't know if Shay can parallel park. You can? Oh, yeah, you live. It. Yeah, okay. i um, thinking who else can't park? Francesca, you have a van now. You could probably parallel park. Jose, I see you parallel park all the time. We're neighbors. You know, I take back the whole thing about the leaders can't parallel park. I don't think you can parallel park my car. I'm just gonna be honest. I know you think you can drive, okay? I don't believe it, okay? You know, hey, and if, if you wanna parallel park a car, there will come a day where you will parallel park a car. It's gonna be a glorious day. You will be with sweaty palms, with some stranger in the car with you, at Laguna Hills or at San Clemente, DMV, you're gonna drive and they're gonna say, okay, okay, can you parallel park right here? And they make you parallel park. Have you ever heard about it in your driver's test? They make you parallel park. And then you have to like, once you parallel park, you have to reverse going next to the curb. And if you hit the curb, you're dead. Not dead, but you're, you're done. Um, you fail if you touch the curb. If you do anything wrong, that's gonna be like off way too many points, you're out, okay? So, you don't have to parallel park my car. You can just wait three years and see if you can parallel park a car. Because at one point, that's going to come to a test. If you think you can do it now, that's great. But one day you'll be tested on that. You know, a lot of people, if I ask the same question, hey, how many of you think that you trust God? And a lot of people would raise their hand and say, yeah, I think I do. Okay? And that's a good thing. But here's the problem. Sometimes we need to be tested whether or not we trust God. Because the reality is we're tested all the time about our trust in God. And tonight, we're going to look at a man who was tested three different times. Do you trust God? That was the question that this guy was asked. The guy named Hezekiah. He was asked in three different ways. Do you trust God? And twice, he did really well. Twice, he did trust God. But once, he failed. And we're gonna look at these three stories in Isaiah chapter 36. So grab your Bibles and look at Isaiah chapter 36. I want everyone to check this out. Grab a Bible, Isaiah 36. We're gonna look at four chapters here. Isaiah 36, 37, 38, and 39. These four. Four chapters tell us three different stories. Three things happened to this king Hezekiah. Now, the last time we were talking about a king in the book of Isaiah, we were talking about Ahaz. Ahaz was the king before Hezekiah. Ahaz was Hezekiah's dad. He was a king for a long time when Isaiah started to prophesy, started to minister to this nation. But now it's Hezekiah. It's his turn. He's the king. Isaiah chapter 36. We find ourselves here, and if you remember what we just talked about, remember last week, We looked at Isaiah 25 and 26, where it says that God keeps his people in peace when they trust God. You remember that? It says, I keep my people in perfect peace when their mind is stayed on the Lord. Okay, That's what he just covered. That's what he's just been saying. Now, here's the question for the people. And here's the question for Hezekiah. Does Hezekiah believe that? Will Hezekiah put his trust in God? And will God be faithful to keep that promise, to keep him in perfect peace? We're going to check it out right here. Isaiah chapter 36. Three tests. First test had to do with a foreign nation, foreign king. It says, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. The Rabshakeh was like this announcer who came and was gonna share the message of the king. It says, and he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the washer's field, which is the same place that we just saw in Isaiah chapter seven, where Isaiah has a conversation with Ahaz. It's the same area, same place. And I think it's there on purpose because that time God said, you need to trust me, Ahaz. Don't be afraid of these people. Don't be afraid. You need to trust me. What did Ahaz do? He said, I'm not trusting God. I'm going to trust Egypt. I'm going to trust all these other nations. Now at that very same place, you have another foreign army coming and they are going to test whether or not the king of Israel, king of Judah here, trusts God. It says in verse three, and there came out to him Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, who was over the household and Shebna, the secretary, and, jo- and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. So we got all these important people coming out to meet this guy. What is the Rabshakeh? This messenger of this foreign king. What does he say to Judah? Well, he says, Say to Hezekiah the king, Thus says the great king. Who's the great king? The great king of Assyria. Hmm. On what do you rest this trust of yours? That's a great question that he asks. He says, This is this foreign king sends his official, his ambassador, so to speak, his spokesman, and here's what he asks Hezekiah, who do you trust? He doesn't realize, but you know what he's asking? He's asking an important theological question here. Who do you trust, King Hezekiah? Because I got this big army. I've got all these people. I represent the king of kings, King Sennacherib of Assyria. That's who I represent. Who's on your side, King Hezekiah? He says, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Verse five, do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you're trusting in Egypt, the broken reed of a staff. Imagine leaning on like a, you know, those big staffs, like the big sticks when you're hiking and stuff, right? Imagine leaning on one of those and it breaks. What happens if you're leaning on a stick and it breaks? You fall, right? And I mean, depending on how the stick breaks, you could like, you know, pierce your hand with that, right? That's what this guy is saying. You guys have trusted Egypt, and you might say, when did they trust Egypt? Well, remember, what did King Ahaz do? When he was in trouble, who did he trust? God or Egypt? They trusted Egypt. Right? And it says in Isaiah 33 that these people also trusted Egypt. They weren't trusting the Lord as they should have. And it's interesting that this guy comes in and he says that. He says, you're trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, for all who trust in him. Look at verse 7 says, but if you say to me, we trust the Lord, our God, quote, is it not his high places and altars that Hezekiah has removed saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall not worship before this altar or you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Now that's not true. This official is getting the facts wrong. What King Hezekiah did was good. He took away the evil idol worship centers in Judah. So King Sennacherib thinks, oh, you're taking away all the places to worship God. God said, no, I liked what Hezekiah did. So this guy misunderstands what Hezekiah did. Hezekiah was just following God. That's why he took out all those idol centers. He says, verse 8, come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you're able on your part to set riders on them. He says, I'll give you 2,000 tanks, I'll give you 2,000 helicopters if you could find pilots for them. You don't even have 2,000 pilots, right? I'll give you 2,000 aircraft. You can't even fill it. You you don't even have the pilots. You don't even have the personnel to take these things that I could give you. He says, how then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? You know what he's saying? He's saying you're trusting Egypt. He's actually kind of right. He's right. They have been trusting Egypt, but look where he gets it wrong. It says, moreover, is it without the Lord that I've come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. This guy is saying, God told me to destroy you guys, King Hezekiah, people of Judah. God told me to destroy you. Well, even that's partially true. God was using Assyria to judge these people. So it says in verse 11 that these officials get together and they say, please speak to your servants in Aramaic. We understand it. Don't speak in the language of the people. Then what happens? He says, no, I'm going to speak in your language. You know why? I want to scare every person who hears my voice. I want them all to be afraid of King Sennacherib. I want you to be afraid of this army. That's what the Rabshakeh gets at. He says at the end, he says, has my master, this is verse 12, has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you? and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed to eat their own dung and to drink their own urine. He's saying, these guys, you know, if we attack your city, you're gonna lose all your food. You know what you're gonna start doing? You're gonna start eating your poop. You're gonna start drinking your pee, okay? He says, I wanna tell them all this too. This is intense. Look at the next verse, verse 13. He called out with a loud voice in the language of Judah. Now he's talking to the people. He says, hear the words of the great king. Who's the great king? Well, the king of Assyria. See what's happening here? See what Isaiah wants us to see? He's setting up Sennacherib as the God instead of the Lord. says, hear the words of the great king of Assyria. Thus says the king, don't let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. It's partially true. Hezekiah can't deliver them. Verse 15, don't let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given over into the hands of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and eat of his own fig tree. Each one of you will drink water from his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a a land of grain and wine and a land of bread and vineyards. Verse 18, check it out. Just beware, lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered this land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Do you see what this guy's saying? He's saying, my king, Sennacherib, is more powerful than your God. That's what he's saying. Okay. How do you think God's going to respond to this? How do you think Hezekiah's going to respond to this? Do you see that his faith is being tested? We're going to find out if he believes anything Isaiah said. We're going to find out if he is willing to trust God. We're going to find that out. It says in verse 21, the people were silent. They didn't answer him a word. Because the king's command was, don't answer them. Then they go to Hezekiah, verse one of the next chapter. Look at Isaiah 37. It says, They go to King Hezekiah. Hezekiah tears his clothes, covers himself with sackcloth, and goes to the house of the Lord. That's an important step. When he's in trouble, he goes to God. Then he sent to these guys, Eliakim and Shebna and all the senior priests, and to the prophet Isaiah. And they said to the prophet Isaiah, this is what these people say to Isaiah, Thus says Hezekiah, This is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace, Children have come to the point of birth, but there's no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, they're asking Isaiah to do something. Lift up a a prayer. Pray to God for the remnant that is left. Hezekiah has his faith tested in this situation. Big army, tons of people. What is he gonna do? This is the first test that he faces in this section. Um, When we think of our faith, I asked you the question, how many of you think, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, I trust God. What about when it's tested? Hezekiah's faith is tested right here. Does he trust God or will he try to find some other solution? Uh, It's no different for you either. It's really no different. Now, you're not the king, and you're not going to have some army come against you. You're not going to be responsible for a whole nation like that. But there will be times when you are tempted to doubt God. There will be times when you want to do everything that the world tells you to do. And say, I know God tells you that you shouldn't do this stuff and talk like this and dress like this. But you know what? You should, you should do what the rest of the world does. And you will be tempted. And in that moment, you will be tempted to not trust God. Do I trust what God's word says? Do I trust that God has a good plan for me? Do I trust that obeying God is better than living like the world? Do I trust that God always keeps his promises? Do I rely on him every day? That is the test that you're going to face. Every time you're tempted, every time you wake up in the morning and figure out what you're going to do, whether you're going to read the Bible or not, you're being tested. Every time you have to decide, am I going to pray today or not? You are being tested, even if it's in a small way. Point number one, I'd love for you to write this down. Just like King Hezekiah, I want you to prepare for your trust in God to be tested regularly. Prepare for your trust in God to be tested regularly. It will happen. In big ways, like this one, and in small ways. The call on Isaiah is, hey, Isaiah, we're in trouble. You need to talk to God. That is the right response. See, before when they were in trouble, you know who they talked to? Egypt. They talk to other kingdoms. They talk to other nations. But this is where they get it right. They talk to God now. Look at what verse 5 says. Back in Isaiah chapter 37. Look at Isaiah 37 verse 5. After you write that first point down. Check this out. It says, When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you've heard, with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Do you hear that? God says, don't be afraid of them. Here's the test. Will Hezekiah be afraid of them? I mean, imagine if that was you. You've got this big army, this big nation surrounding you. Will you trust God? Because God's saying you shouldn't be afraid. Everything about the situation is telling you, I better be afraid right now. Because this is really scary. The question is, who do you trust, Hezekiah? God or what you see right now? Do you trust God's word and what he said through Isaiah? Or do you trust your own human wisdom to try to figure out the situation? Who do you trust? Verse number seven, God makes a promise. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. And I'll make him fall by the sword in his own land. Now, that's the promise of God. Now, let's take it into our life right here. You don't have a promise that some person that you don't like is going to die in some foreign land, okay? You don't have that promise. God has not made that promise to you. So your older sibling that annoys you, God has not said, don't worry, they're gonna go in a foreign land and they're gonna be killed by the sword, okay? It's not gonna happen. Well, maybe, but God has not promised you that, right? My point is, you shouldn't expect all your problems and things to be dealt with in this way, but God still has made promises to you. He's made promises to you like this, that if you call on him for salvation, he'll save you. He's made promises like if you call on him and ask him for wisdom, he'll give it to you. He's made promises all throughout the scripture that you can rely on. And he's also said things that are very clear. Like if you obey, for instance, your parents, things will go well for you. He's made that promise. Every day you have a decision. Let's just use that example. Every day you have a decision whether or not you're going to believe what God said. If you obey, you're going to say, oh, yeah, I believe what God said. Because God said, you know, if I obey, my parents' things will go well for me, just like they did in the Old Testament. Okay, I believe that. And you obey. Or you make the decision, I don't actually think God knows what he's talking about. I'm not going to do that. And I I get that you don't consciously do that. Most of you don't say, I don't trust God. I don't. No. But when we make decisions, for instance, not to go to God with our problems, we're saying something about our trust in God our trust is being tested, and you should see something there. If you're in trouble and you don't turn to God, that's a problem. That shows that your faith is not where it should be. Sometimes it's like, when I'm not in trouble, what do I do? Well, even here, Hezekiah prays. He says in verse 8, something happened next. It says that the rapture returned. So, the shows up once and leaves. Something happens, and we find out in First Kings eighteen or Second Kings eighteen, that something happened in these other cities around there where the the kingdom of Assyria they had their big army outside of Jerusalem. It seemed like they withdrew, fought some other battles, maybe at Lachish, maybe at some other places. But now they come back. So think about that. They just heard the word of God that said, "Oh, you'll be delivered. Don't fear." And then what happens? They go away, and they're probably celebrating at that point, right? Thinking, "Yeah, God kept His promise." What happens when they come back? There's a temptation to doubt God, isn't there? Well, it's the same thing with you. When you obey God and things go well, and it's like, yeah, that's great. I'm gonna keep doing it. And then when you obey God and things don't go well, you might be tempted. Hmm, well, I don't know if I trust God now. Right? If something in my life doesn't go the way I want to, and I feel like I've really been praying about it, or I feel like I've really been trusting God, and then things go wrong, then you're in a deeper place of temptation. Am I going to trust God now when things don't go well for me, when when everything isn't turning out the way I want to? Will I trust God now? Well, Hezekiah has that temptation. It says something was going on with the king of Cush, his other nation where they were fighting against him. Look at verse 10 says. Rabshakeh says again, thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you. By promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying, God is lying to you. Okay? Does the world ever tell you that God is lying? Right. They do. They do. When the world says that this is what's good and this is what's bad, and it's the opposite of what your God says, this is what's good and this is what's bad, you know what they're saying? Your God's lying to you. Okay? When they say, no, there's no way God could have created the world. There's no way God, the God that the Bible describes, is really the true God. You see what is happening? The world is lying to you, Just like the rapture is lying to Hezekiah. And God takes this personally because it's not just a lie in general. He's not just saying, hey, you know, I only brushed my teeth seven times this week when the truth was he brushed it six times, right? It's not some like irrelevant, like, oh, uh that was a lie, but like not a good one. No, this is like core lie. He's saying God is not to be trusted. It's a big lie. It's a lie from Satan. That's the lie that Satan gave to Adam and Eve in the garden, didn't he? You know what he said to them? Don't trust God. Did God really tell you that you shouldn't eat from the tree? No. This is Genesis 3, 6. God didn't really say that, did he? He didn't really say that that you'll you'll die. I mean, you're not gonna die. You'll live. You'll actually have a better life if you do it. And God's trying to keep things from you that you should have. The world does the same thing to you today. When they present temptation and sin to you and says, this is how you should live. This is how you should dress. This is how you should talk. This is the jokes you should make. This is what you should pursue. This is how much money you should have. This is all. when the world does that to you, a lot of what they're doing is saying God's lying. I know it doesn't come off that way up, up front, but you need to go a level deeper and see it's a lot like this. It says, don't let God deceive you. Verse 11. This is Isaiah 37, 11. want everyone check it out in your Bible. It says, behold, you've heard of what the king's of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction, and shall you be delivered? What's different about you? Have the gods of the nations delivered them? The nations that my fathers destroyed? He lists all these different nations. He says, the Assyrians have killed all of those people. Who are are you to say that your God will keep you safe? Now, what does Hezekiah do? Look at verse 14. It says, after he gets this letter, he gets the letter, where does he go? Goes to the house of the Lord. Here's what Hezekiah does. He takes this letter. He puts it right on the steps of the temple. He lays it down. And he leaves it there. And he steps back. Okay, It's like he's showing it to God. He's looking at it. It's right down there on the ground. And he lays it in front of God. And you know what he's saying? God, what are you going to do about this? God, this is offending you. This isn't just a bad time for me. This is offended. What are you going to do about this letter? Are you going to do something about it? Look what he prays. Look at verse 15. He spread it before the Lord and said, O Lord of hosts. You know what hosts means? Hosts. Hosts. The person who invites you into macaroni grill and chili. No, um, it's not a host. Host is an army. Where are they right now? They're in a city that's surrounded by armies. And you know what they say to God? God, you have all the powerful armies. They don't. You're the God of hosts. By the way, you're the God of Israel. I know that Sennacherib thinks you're not powerful, but you're the God of all the armies, specifically, sometimes called the the angel armies, the hosts of angels. God, you have greater armies than they do. You're our God, the God of Israel. Further, you are not just enthroned in some big, big sanctuary. You are enthroned above the cherubim, the angels. You are the God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, not just Israel, but also Sennacherib. Sennacherib is a little flea compared to to you, God. You're so much more powerful over all the kingdoms of of the earth. Why? You've made heaven and earth. That's how he prays. So when he goes and he spreads that letter out before God, here's what he says, God, you are the only God. I know these people are trying to act like you're not God or act like you don't have control, but here's the thing. They have no idea what they're talking about because you're the only God. You've made them. Look at verse 17. He asks God, God, please hear me. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib. God, did you hear what he just said? which he has sent to mock the living God. He's mocking you right now. So this prayer, do you notice who's left out of this prayer? Hezekiah. He's not saying, God, I was so offended by this guy. He just made me so mad. God, can you deal with him? He doesn't say that. He says, God, you are offended by this guy. This guy's offending you. This guy's mocking you, God. Verse 18. Truly, O Lord, The kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands. And they have cast their gods into the fire. Why? Well, because they were not even gods. They were the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. What is Hezekiah saying? The guy is half right. The guy is right to say we destroy those other gods. And you know what Hezekiah says? You know why? They look successful. Because those, those gods were not real gods. Just like when the world looks successful and the world looks appealing to you and it says, well, you can be successful. You can have all this stuff. Yeah, because those aren't real gods that they're conquering. God is the real God, the Lord. Verse 20. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. So when you think about when your faith is tempted and tested, and I'm telling you, you know, you should go to God in prayer. Right? Just like Hezekiah does. He does it here. He's going to do it another time in the next chapter. The, the types of things you should be talking to God about should look like Hezekiah, okay? When, when you're tempted to sin, when you're tempted by the world, maybe instead of praying next time, God, just, I just don't want to do this stuff. Just get rid of it out of, out of this world, right? Maybe start to pray like this. God, you are offended by this kind of stuff. This is an attack against you, God, your glory is on the line. God, please protect me from this sin because I don't want to sit in this way because I don't want the world to know that you are not powerful enough to deliver. This is about God. This isn't about Hezekiah. When Hezekiah prays, it's about God. Who does Hezekiah care about most, God or Hezekiah? Well, it seems like he cares about God more. That's how we need to pray. We expect our faith to be tempted and tested. We need to pray like this. Then he goes on, verse 21. Isaiah, son of Amos, said to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. Look what he says. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Israel. She wags her head behind you, daughter of Jerusalem. It's like saying, yeah, you're like my, my kid, Jerusalem. And this person's mocking my kid. Okay? If, uh, if Eden comes out soon... She's like six weeks away-ish, right? She comes out, and I find you standing over her little stroller just insulting her, just yelling at her, just saying, you're terrible, you're this, you're that, you're so ugly, you're so, th-. like, I, okay, let's just, just, just pretend like you would do that, right? I'll look over here. Let's just pretend like you would do that, okay? <laughs> Sorry. Maybe, maybe it's one of you. I don't know. Let's just hope none of you do this. But if you did that, and I caught you just like yelling at her, right? At this point, she's got to just be crying, right? right? Maybe yelling at her, insulting her, telling her that she smells bad. She's Like, what do you think I will feel? Okay? No. Not that. Yeah, you don't know what's coming for you if you think that's a good idea, okay? You better not do that, right? Here's what God's saying. You know, when people are insulting Israel and messing with Israel, I take it personally. Look at verse 23. He asked the question, whom have you mocked and reviled? Who are these people mocking, really? Right. Just like for you, if you're really yelling at my, you know, infant daughter in a stroller, right? Who are you really making fun? Who are you really mocking? Who's going to take it personally? It's me. Baby probably is going to cry too. But really, it's me who's going to take it personally. He asks the question, against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. Against God. When you insult God's people, you're insulting God here. It's by your servants. You've mocked the Lord. You've said, with our many chariots, we've gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon, to cut down the tallest cedars. All this, like, you know, when you're bragging, you usually don't talk about the trees you cut down, unless you're a mountain man. These guys are bragging about all the trees they cut down. They're saying, look at how strong we were. We cut down big trees, man. Like, no one can stop us. (laughs) That's literally what he's saying. Further, he says, you know, I've dug wells, and you probably don't brag about that either. I dug a bunch of wells recently. You know what I do with the wells I, I dig? I drink out of them, right? That's what he's saying, right? Not that impressive. And I dry up the sole of my foot, all the streams of Egypt. Verse 26. Have you not heard? It's like, are you, are you so dumb you haven't heard this? That I planned this all a long time ago? That God determined all of this long ago. I planned from the days of old what now comes to pass. Not just now what comes to pass. Now what I bring to pass. Okay. He's saying, Sennacherib, you might be bragging, you might think you're cool because you, know, you dug a well and you drank out of it and you cut down a big tall tree. But here's the thing, I plan all of that. That's all under my view, my sovereignty. It says that I want you to build those fortified cities. You know why? Because I'm going to crash them into ruins. It's like building a sandcastle. I'm going to build these sandcastles and tear them down while their inhabitants shorn of strength are dismayed and confounded and become like plants of the field, like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it's grown. I know you're sitting down and you're going in, going out and coming in. It's like uh, sometimes small group leaders ask me, hey, can you come and sit in in my group? You know what that means? Guys, you know what that means? Busted, Busted. okay. When, when, when guys ask me, some of the leaders asked me, hey, can you come in and sit in my group? You know what I'm usually assuming? Uh-oh. Um, guess it's not going well, right? I've had to do that a couple of times. Not very much this year. Um, but I remember in some past years, I had to go in and sit. I mean, Nick had some groups. Uh, you know, not that it was his fault, but um, there's some groups that I'd sit in on. You know what they didn't do so much when I was sitting in there? right? They didn't yell and scream as much, right? Because um, they are teensy bit afraid, a little bit. Now they're probably not as afraid. But here's the truth. God is saying, you know, you think you're so big and tough and strong, Sennacherib. I know when you, when you wake up. I know when you get up and get out of bed and walk out of your tent. I know when you go to the bathroom. I know all this stuff. God, you think you're smart? You think you're special? You think you're outside of my control? You're not outside of my control at all. That's what God says. It's because you've raged against me. And your complacency has come to my ears. I will put my hook in your nose. I'll put my bit in your mouth. And I'll turn you back to the way that you came. He says, don't mess with God here. Isaiah says, here's a sign for you. You're going to have fruitful harvests. And and these people are not going to touch the city of Jerusalem. Look at verse 35. Look what he says. This is God speaking. I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. You know what's missing there? Hezekiah's name. He says, I didn't do it for Hezekiah. I did it for myself, okay? So when God answers prayers, you know what the best prayers that God wants to answer? The ones that are for himself. The ones that are for his glory. That's why Jesus says in the gospels, John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, he says, ask anything in my name that the father may be glorified, All right? And further, that the father might glorify the son, okay? Ask me anything in my name, anything that is according to my will, ask it, Jesus says to his, followers. Ask it. You know why? Ask it to me. I'll make it happen so that the Father will glorify the Son so that God gets glory and praise, so that people clap for God one day. And that's what he says. That's why he says here in verse 20, Hezekiah, when he prayed, he says, do this for your sake. Do it so that you will be famous in the world. All this happens exactly as it said. Verse 36 says, the angel of the Lord went down and struck down 185,000 people. seems like a lot, but actually in Sennacherib, we, we have some of his writings, this King Sennacherib. One of the things he said was that he burned down all these cities, which is exactly what Hezekiah said. You know, what he says about Jerusalem, didn't burn it down. He says, but I did get Hezekiah and I got him there. King of Judah, King Hezekiah. I, I just trapped him in like a bird in a cage. That's what the, the inscriptions say that Hezekiah wrote down. Or not Hezekiah, Sennacherib. Further, snackrib says, I killed or took captive 200,000 Judeans, okay? So this is a bad time for them. But Hezekiah and the people of Judah are saved because they trust the Lord. God says he, he killed 185,000 men from this camp of the Syrians. And when they arose in the early morning, behold, they were all dead bodies. It doesn't say how he did it, right? Maybe they all had you know, bad burritos the night before and they just died, right? I don't know. Maybe they just died. The angel of the Lord just struck them dead. We don't know how they died. It just was, they woke up in the morning, right? And guess what? Most of them were dead. So that's a lot of dead bodies. So what do they do? Well, it says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home to live at Nineveh. That was the capital city. What happens next? Verse 38, read it, check it out. It says, as he was worshiping at the house of Nishroth, his God, and Adramalech and Sherezer, His God, or his sons, rather, these two sons, struck him down with the sword after they escaped in the land of Ararat. We have more conflict here. Why? Well. They're worshiping their God. He gets killed worshiping his own God. Think about that. God is showing that he is the king of all gods. That's the first test of King Hezekiah. Test for you is: are you Expecting God to test your faith. You should be expecting God to test your faith. James 1, verses 2 and 4. James 1, 2 to 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you may when you face trials of various kinds. You're going to trace, face trials, you're going to face hard times. You're going to face temptations. It says, Count it joy, because God is doing something with this. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's usually where people stop when they read this, but I want you to listen to the next verse. This is James 1, 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Do you see that when you have hard times and trials, God says he's going to grow you through those tests of faith. Even if there's failure, he wants to grow you. And you know what you should do when that happens? What do you need to do? Verse five, pray. Hezekiah, his faith is tested. What does he do? Praise. It's exactly what we should do. When our faith is tested, we need to pray. And here's the question. Your prayer right now will show how prepared you are for those tests of faith. Okay? If you're not praying now, you don't think that you're ready for those tests of faith. You know why? Because every time you didn't pray, you were tested and you failed that test, right? Do I trust God today? Do I need to go to God today? Am I dependent on God today? Well, I guess not. Don't expect to be ready for the tests if you're not praying. Even getting into prayer is a test. That was the first test of King Hezekiah. Now, there's two more. They're shorter, a lot shorter in the text. But I want you to see something. We just looked at Isaiah 36 and 37. Isaiah 38 Seems to have taken place before Isaiah 36 and 37. In fact, I think that Isaiah 38 and 39, both of these actually took place before. So what we just read was the end of the story of Hezekiah. Now we're gonna do a flashback and look at him earlier in his life. You've seen the flashbacks, right? Right? You're watching a movie or whatever, and they're an old person, then they go back, now they're younger, right? I think that's what's happening here. You know why? Because verse six says that God is gonna deliver you, that's Hezekiah and this city out of, the king of, out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city, okay? That already took place. We just read about that, okay? So I think this is actually taking place before. So test number two actually takes place before test number one. I don't want to confuse you, but read it. Look at that. Isaiah 38:1. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. This is test number two, okay? Test number one was, The king of Assyria wants to take him down. Test number two is Hezekiah gets sick. So sick that he's going to die. Isaiah, the prophet, goes to him and says, thus says the Lord, set your house in order. Right? Figure out who's going to be the king after you. Get your stuff, get your will written down because you will die. You won't recover. At this point, Hezekiah was probably in his late 20s, early 30s. Okay. Um, The king of Assyria... Right, this is before, so this is around seven. So 701 is the year that the whole thing with Sennacherib happened. Right? This took place earlier, so like 703, 704. Some think as early as 711. Right? You can remember that because it's 711, obviously. Um, remember, you're counting backwards with BC. If, I don't know if that confused you. 702 was one year before 701 because BC. Have you thought about that? Okay, it goes backwards. Anyway. Um, so yeah, this just took place a little bit before. But Hezekiah doesn't have a son that's old enough to reign on the throne. These Assyrians just took out the northern tribes. You know what they're probably thinking? You know, if we lose our king right now, we're gonna fall too. We're gonna go into exile too. This is a really bad time for them. This is a scary time. Is Hezekiah gonna make it? Verse two, then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, and said, please, Lord, remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And that's it. He doesn't even say amen. That's just the end of the prayer right there. That's all we have. It says, and Hezekiah wept bitterly. I don't know if you can imagine this, but just kind of like I ima- you imagined the, the letter on the ground right here, Want you to imagine Hezekiah, he's in his throne room. He's in a nice place in that big old bedroom. Right. It's like how it says he just turned and faced the wall. Right? You got people in the room, maybe some nurses and you know, doctor types of the of the time or family or whatever. What does he do? He gets this news from Isaiah, right? What does he do? He just turns over on the bed, faces the wall, and he starts crying. It's like a little baby, right? Because he's told he's gonna die. His son's not old enough to reign. His son, Manasseh. Some think he wasn't even born yet. It seems like he was born at this point, but he's probably a young kid. It's just sounding Christ. It's just interesting because this prayer is not as good as the prayer in the last chapter, right? That was like a big prayer about God and his glory and whatever, all that stuff. And then this prayer seems pretty weak. He just says, God, remember how I have followed you. I, I, I don't want to die right now. End, right? That's all he says. Then he wept. Verse four, check it out. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord your God, the God of David, your father. I've heard your prayer and I've seen your tears and behold, I'll add 15 years to your life. And I'll deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. Okay. See how much God cares about Hezekiah? That's some important care. But here's the thing. When you look at this, you might think, oh great, the, the the application means that I should just pray and I should expect God to heal me, right? Because that's what happened here. No, okay, that's not what I want you to do. Here's why. I think there's a very specific reason why Hezekiah is healed. He's given 15 years more of life. He's about to die. He's given 15 years of life. Now think of the city of Jerusalem. Think of Judah. They almost die. They're like to their last breath. God miraculously saves them and they have like 150 more years of life. Do you see that? Okay. I think Hezekiah's life is a picture of what's happening in Judah, right? Although they deserve to die, they deserve to be cut off. They call out on God and God extends their life, right? Hezekiah's life gets extended 15 years. Judah's life gets extended about 150 years, but it's the same picture. God shows mercy. God shows his care and his grace beyond far, far beyond what they deserve. Verse seven, God says, here's a sign for you. The shadow is gonna go back the opposite way, right? Some, some miracle that he gives to him. It says in Hezekiah, wrote in verse nine, after he'd been sick, he writes this big, long poem. He thanks God for all that's happened to him. When your faith is tested, and that was kind of what we talked about before, right? Your faith is tested. When you ask God for something and he delivers and he answers, whether it's a big thing or a small thing, we need to model what what Hezekiah did. Before I want you to expect, yeah, expect that to come the tests. But now here's what I want you to do. Point number two, I'd love for you to write this down. Thank God. Thank him for all his mercy, care, and answer prayers. Thank God for all of his mercy, care, and answered prayers. Because mercy means not getting what you deserve not getting what you deserve. Has Hezekiah been a perfect man? The answer, no. But God shows him mercy here beyond what he deserves. I think it's a picture of Judah and its extension. So I don't think we should look at this and say, well, this means if I get sick, I can just talk to God and God will say, great, add 15 years. I think this is a very unique situation. But here's what's not unique, what Hezekiah does afterwards. Okay, this needs to be regular. It says in verse 10, check it out. Hezekiah prays to God. He worships God. He says, I said, in the middle of my days, he's in the middle of life right here, 28, 29, 30, between 25 and 35 here in the middle of my days, I must depart. I'm consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall not look on man anymore among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling place is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent Like a weaver, I've rolled up my life. He's cut me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calmed myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. You hear those doves that make that sound? crows and different animals here they make the sounds right outside because so that's what i'm doing to god my eyes are wearied with looking upward oh lord i'm oppressed be my pledge of safety what shall i say for he's spoken to me and he himself has done it i walked slowly all my years because of my bitterness of soul now, that was a lot of like sad stuff right a little poetry he calls himself a bird right <laughs> verse 16 oh lord by these things men live and in all this is the life of my spirit. Oh, restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love, you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. Middle of verse 17, he says, for you have cast my sins, all my sins behind your back. It's like saying, I, I, God, I know I deserve to die. I know I deserve that. But it's like you just threw away all my sin. You forgave me. For shield does not thank you and death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit don't hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The father makes known to the children your faithfulness, which I think he's saying, I want to make known to my kids your faithfulness. Verse 20, the Lord will save me and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our life at the house of the Lord. Do you see what Hezekiah does when God answers his prayers? He thanks God, he worships God, he makes that a pattern. Here's the question for you. When God answers your prayers, do you thank him? When you pray for something and you want to see something happen, you want to see one of your friends start coming to church, right? You want to see victory over a certain sin and then God gives it to you. Do you say like, okay, great. Yep. That's what I got. Um, on to the next thing. Or do you stop and thank God? Hezekiah's healing is not something we should all expect, but Hezekiah's worship is something we all should expect to do. We need to do. Problem is I think people who don't pray also don't give thanks Hezekiah is a guy who prayed and he gave thanks. Both of those happened. You're so much less likely to thank God like you should if you're not praying like you should. It's a lot like getting paper cuts. You ever get paper cuts on your like index finger? You're like doing something at school or whatever, you get a bad paper cut. I guess you don't have paper at school anymore. Back in the ancient times, we used to have paper and pencils. Do any of you even have pencils anymore? Do you do math with pencils? You do. Okay, good. That's good. I love pencils. Not anymore, but I used to. I don't even have pencils. Whatever. Whatever. Anyway. We used to get paper cuts, right, at school. The thing I always thought was interesting is that i always get a paper cut on a part of my finger that I used a lot, right? Like the, you know, the, 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 what is this called? The pad of the index finger, right? You have, yeah, right, you don't know. I don't know either. You have no idea how much you use that until you can't anymore. It's a lot like when you're sick, right? It's like, oh, I had no idea how good health was, right? When you got a cough or, you know, you're sneezing or you're congested or you got the stomach flu, like That's the worst, right? You're throwing up. Every time you hug the toilet, right? And keep hitting the the flush thing because you want it to go down faster, right? Yeah, oh, you never done that? Yeah. Um, My wife says I have a weak stomach. I don't know what that means. Um, It's like throw up a lot whatever. <laughs> Sorry, she's pregnant. She's hugging the toilet more than me these days. Um, but whenever you're in that situation, you're like, oh, so good when I didn't have this, right? And I get paper cuts. It's like, oh, I had no idea how much I used this finger. I had no idea how much I relied on this thing. Right? When you get something in your eye, right, you're like, oh, I have no idea how good it is when I don't have something in my eye. Here's my point. You will never thank God the way you should if you don't recognize your reliance on God. You will never do it. And sometimes what it takes is for God to take away things from you. To show you how reliant you are on him. That's what happens with Hezekiah. Because I think about this. I think this is the first thing that happens in our story. I think Hezekiah gets sick. It's the first thing that we're covering in this narrative section. Isaiah 36 and 37 probably happens afterwards. The first thing that happens is God gets his attention. Wakes him up. Shakes him. Gets him sick. Show him that he needs to thank God. I want you to write these two passages down. We're going to turn to one of them. But Psalm 34 and Psalm 103. Okay, we're going to look at Psalm 103 in a minute. Psalm 34 is this Psalm where, where David says, I'm blessing God. I'm thanking God. I'm praising God. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. I prayed to God and he answered my prayer. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers him. Verse eight: O oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Look to God, fear him. Those who fear him have no lack. Even lions, young lions, they suffer want and hunger. They get hungry. They don't have enough to eat. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now Psalm 103, famous passage. It says that we should bless God all the time and never forget anything good that God does for us. Okay? I want you to take that as a challenge this week. When God does something good, I want you to take note of it. Okay? Maybe not write it down. Maybe I mean, for some of you, you might want to write it down. But when God does something good, Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord and forget not all of his benefits. What are some of his benefits? Psalm 103 says, who forgives your iniquities, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Every time you get up, every time you have a good meal, every time God does something good in your life, every time God doesn't give you what you do deserve, which is mercy, every time he gives you something that you don't deserve, that's grace, bless the Lord. When he forgives you for your sin, when you know that you've done wrong and you call out on God and you pray to him and he forgives you, bless the Lord for that. Thank God for that. When he satisfies you with good, I just love that picture, right? So that your youth is renewed like eagles. I know that your parents think that you have uh, all the energy in the world, but I know that you don't. Um, You're a teenager. You like to sleep, don't you? I used to sleep a lot. 12 hours, 13 hours. You guys could probably do it, couldn't you? Right? Some, some of you probably could. You want to sleep right now, that's good. Well, you can wait till the sermon's over. Um, <laughs> but every time God wakes you up, every time God fills you with energy, every time you go out and grab the soccer ball and the football and the Frisbee, and every time you go play foosball, and every time you get to hang out with your friends, God is giving you good things. Don't forget to thank God for that. Bless the Lord for all he does. Later, he says in that chapter, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're just dust. Second thing that Hezekiah faces, he passes. He prays to God. When he's sick, he prays to God, he's healed. He thanks God, pass that test. When Assyria comes, praise to God, passes. Isaiah 39, last chapter we're looking at here, Isaiah records that Hezekiah fails. And there's one thing that's missing. And I think it's the reason why he failed. I don't want to make too much of it, but I really think that is the key reason why Hezekiah fails. I want you to look through this chapter as we read it and tell me what's missing. Tell me what he doesn't do that he did in the other chapters. It says... The time that Meredith, Baladon, this is the, um, the son of Baladon. This is the king of Babylon. He was a freedom fighter, which means he was a terrorist. Um, that's what people say. All the commentaries say he was a terrorist to his enemies. He's a freedom fighter for his people. What that means is this guy was nuts. Like absolutely nuts. So he, uh, he came from the town of Babylon. The Assyrians took over, right? Every time his city got taken over, you know what he did? He grabbed the boys, grabbed the guns, right? No guns, but swords and spears. He's like, let's just kill everybody. So he did it like twice. He took over his own city like twice. So to the people in his city, it wasn't like he was killing his like, citizens. He was killing all the Assyrian kings and all the, all the people that were in his land. He, he just killed them all the time. So this dude was crazy, okay? So Hezekiah is making a bad friend here, um, But here's the point. He comes. He sent envoys with letters. So he doesn't come personally, but he sent a letter to King Hezekiah and he sent him a present. What is this guy trying to do? Trying to make friends with Hezekiah. Okay. Because he just took over a city again, Babylon, okay, which you know is that big city. At the time, it was a smaller city. It wasn't in charge. He took over the city, sends presents to Hezekiah for he heard that he had been sick and recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. So he gets this group of people with a gift he hey, I heard you got sick. Hey, I brought you this awesome gift. You know what Hezekiah's like? Sweet. This is awesome, right? Hey, why did Hezekiah heal, get healed? Why, why, did he, why did he stop being so sick that he was going to die? Who did that? God did, right? Mm, look what he doesn't say. He welcomed them gladly. He showed them all the treasures of his house the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that is found in the storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. My parents always quoted this to me. Whenever, uh, you know when you're a kid and you like to show people like how much money you have in your wallet? I always heard this as a little kid. Remember what happened to Hezekiah when he showed them all of his money, right? Well, here's what happened. (laughs) Isaiah says, what did these men say? And from where are they from? Where did they come from? Hezekiah said, "Oh, these men came from a far country. It's a little city. It's called Babylon. It's not very important." Um, uh, and then I was just like, "Okay, cool, cool, cool." Uh, so uh, what did what what did they see? Like, what did you show them in your house? And Hezekiah's like, I, "I don't know. I just showed them everything. And they wanted to see, you know, the garage. They wanted to see the gold." They wanted to see, like, the horse stables. They wanted to see all of my weapons. I got to show them all my knives. Like, it was really cool. I got to show them all that stuff. It was great. Look what he says. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, which your fathers have stored up till this day, shall be carried to Babylon. Everything you showed them, guess what? They're going to come back and steal it. Bummer. That's a bad choice. Don't show people how much money you have. Don't show them all your cool stuff. You know why? They're going to take it. That's what happens here. Worse than that, it says, and some of your own sons that come from you, your, your, your children, your descendants, whom you father, they'll be taken away and shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. A eunuch is not a job that you want to have. Verse eight. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that he spoken is good. For he thought, hey, there's gonna be peace and security in my days. What happens after chapter 39? Chapter 36? There are not peace and security in his days. It was not good times for King Hezekiah. So I said, what did you notice wasn't there? What did he not do? So when this foreign king comes, or his, his people come and say, hey, we want to give you gifts. We want to make an alliance. What does he not do? Never talks to God about it. Never prays. And in fact, he's flattered. He thinks, this dude wants to make friends with me? This dude who took over, he they, I heard about him and his boys. They killed everybody, all the Assyrians. These guys are awesome. I want to make friends with this guy. he He wants to get to know me, doesn't he? Because he... He wants me to be in charge of uh, the the southwestern region of the anti-Assyrian coalition. Oh, he wants me to be in charge. Oh, this guy, he wants to be friends. He's tight. He's cool. He wants to be. See what he's doing? He's proud. He's arrogant. Doesn't turn to God. He makes an alliance, something he wasn't supposed to do. Big thing he does is he doesn't pray. In fact, we see that earlier in the book, Isaiah 31, verse 1. He says, you've gone to these other nations. And guess what? You have not consulted me. God says, you didn't ask me about this. He forgets that God is the ruler. After all the good that God has shown to him, he forgets that God's the ruler. He thinks he's the ruler. He becomes proud. Point number three, remember God is the ruler to avoid pride. Remember that God is the ruler to avoid pride. You might say, uh, it doesn't say he's proud. Well, this story that we've been reading in the book of Isaiah is also told in two other places. 2 Kings 18 to 20 and 2 Chronicles 32. In 2 Chronicles 32, verse 31 says this, And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him to himself. Talking about Hezekiah. God let him be tested, it says, in order to test him to know all that was in his heart. This was something that God let happen so that he'd be tested. Earlier in that chapter, 2 Chronicles 32, verse 24, it says in those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him. For his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem. Chapter 36 and 37. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart. Both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon him in the days of Hezekiah. Chapter 37. Okay. Do you see that? It's one of the other reasons we think that this Isaiah is putting them out of order on purpose to show us, to really introduce us to Babylon as the next world power after Assyria goes away in chapter 37, now we're introduced to Babylon who's gonna be the next problem for Israel. Problem is Hezekiah got proud. Question is, if you don't go to God, like he doesn't go to God, it shows pride in our hearts too. You're gonna look at this in, in small groups, so I'm not gonna turn you there, but James chapter four talks about what happens when we don't pray. It says when we don't pray, and when we pray wrongly, we fight, we quarrel with each other, and it says that we're acting like we're cheating on God because we want to make friends with the world. The answer is to humble ourselves before before the Lord. It says submit to God, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Repent, turn from that sin. If you've been a proud person, like we talked about in the last sermon, if you've been proud against God, repent of that. But here's the thing. The pride that Hezekiah shows here is really a smaller version of pride. It's just the pride that says, I don't really need God right now. I'm good. God's given me what what he needs to give me. I'm good. I don't need him right now. I was fooled. Reminds me, some of you, uh, when you play basketball in the gym, I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, when you interact with each other, you like puff out your chest. You think you're really good. And then Nick Barnett goes in there. There's less puffing out of the chest. Right? Some of you guys think you're good at you know throwing the frisbee around and you know you're throwing it around, and then Luke Clemens comes out. Right? And Juan. They can throw that frisbee, right? Some of you think you're, you know, good at ping-pong and you guys are playing, you're playing, and then then Juan and and <laughs> Yeah, it's one, it's just Juan and Luke again. Um they just happen to be good at both of those things. And they come out, right? And they start they start whipping you on the ping-pong table, right? Um easy to think we're the best until we meet someone who's better, right? That happens to all of us. It's happened to me. It's happened to you, right? It's happened to all of us. Problem is when we think that way with God and we think that we can be in charge of this situation. Well, I know God has been good in the past. I know he's been in charge in the past, but in this situation I've got, right? We're committing the sin of Hezekiah. We don't want to do that. We need you remember who the ruler is, the ruler of, of your life, ruler of your health, ruler of every nation. It's the Lord. That's the whole theme of the book of Isaiah. So, everything we've looked at, that God is the ruler. We need to remember that. Let's pray about that right now. God, please help us be humble before you. Pray that you would help us um, see that you are the king. We saw that you are ruler over Sennacherib and Assyria and Judah and Israel and even Hezekiah and its health. We know that you are the Lord of our life too. You're the Lord of this universe. You always have been, you always will be. Pray that as we're tempted, our faith is tested. You would help us stay on track. You would help us not forget about you. We wouldn't become prideful and self-sufficient, thinking that we don't need to pray, we don't need to talk to you. Please correct us in that. And I just pray that in the next weeks, we would just grow in our humility. That would be shown by our prayer, that we'd rely heavily on you and that we'd recognize that you are the God who provides for us, as you always do. Pray that we'd be more thankful and that our Thanksgiving right now would be pleasing to you.